Jeremy asked me a few moments ago if he wanted me to come up to Eye of the Tiger or Rocky's theme song. And I said, if you want to be my friend, we're going to do neither of those. <laughs> um, but I kind of half suspected he was going to do it, so I'm, I'm a little relieved right now. Uh, but anyway, it's uh, good to be with you again this morning. Um, I'm fully aware that there are many things in here more interesting than myself. So I'm thinking if you can manage to stay with me to about the midway point, I'm going to consider that a win. Now, as far as the children go, not even going to try. Not even going to try it with them. But speaking of children, uh, there are a couple passages about children in Scripture that, if we are honest with ourselves, are kind of hard for us to relate to. Um, These are passages that paint a scene of unity and peace. And this unity is depicted in a way that we often wish our world was. One such passage is found in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6. It says, The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf, and the lion, and the yearling together. And then it adds at the end, and a little child will lead them. Now, I don't know um, if it's like this for you, but every once in a while, I feel like I'm at least able to glimpse this. It's the moments where it seems like everything is right and perfect. Now, for you, it might be when you're out fishing and you're totally relaxed. For others, it could be when you're out with your friends, um, you're having a good time, And everything at that moment just seems right and perfect. For me, it's usually when I'm outside, either at the park or in my backyard, and I'm watching my kids just play together. Now, there's another passage about peace and unity that's less about the future and more about the here and now. It's actually our passage for this morning, and it comes from... Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Again, that's Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I want you to focus on just a couple things in that passage, and it has to do with oneness, peace, and unity. Oneness, peace, and unity. And while you're thinking about that, 
Let me figure out where in the world my notes are. You guys know when you print something and you have the option to print two-sided or one-sided? I think that's what my notes have done. I used to be in IT for 10 years, by the way. So I really shouldn't have made that mistake. But we'll figure it out. I think I got it. You guys are really patient. Thank you. I'm going to block that out of my mind. Okay, so um, thinking about what I just told you to kind of focus your mind on, um, if I, when I was reading this passage, if I wanted to sum up everything we just read in one sentence, it seems clear that finding unity with others first comes by finding God's calling on your life. Let me say that again. Finding true unity with others only comes by first finding God's calling on your life. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at habits that rob us of unity and habits that give us unity. We're going to look at habits that take unity away and habits that bring us closer together. And while we're looking at all those habits, we're going to find why God's personal calling on our life matters for unity. So, if we want to find a bond with others, what are the habits that give us that bond, and consequently, what are the habits that take it away? Well, let's dive right in. Let's look at the first one. One habit that robs us of unity is failing to distinguish between primary and secondary callings. Look down at verse 1. It says, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, the idea of calling in the Bible isn't that complicated. You could think of it like a children is playing and uh, they hear their father call their name. Or you could think of it as you're walking around and you hear a sound and it catches your ear and you're compelled to follow it to find out what it is. And it doesn't matter what it is. Unfortunately, many of us spend most of our lives chasing down noises and sounds, but we're often unsure where to really direct our focus. We say things like, I don't know if this is what I'm really supposed to be doing. And it's often because we haven't been captured by the difference between a primary calling and a secondary calling. A primary calling is following the voice of Jesus. His words, his leading, his priorities, his voice. A secondary calling is a career, a family, developing a talent, responsibilities, etc. You see, you were made for a primary calling. Secondary callings are just that. They're secondary. 
They're means, they're side roads. They're not what you were made for. They're not your purpose. They're not your true destination. But when you think about it, you think over your life how easily we get distracted. How easily we fail to distinguish between those two things. Uh, Oz Guinness, an influential writer and author of the book, The Call, says this, To be a disciple of Jesus is to be a called one, and so to become a follower of the way. Our primary calling as followers of Christ is by him, to him, and for him. First and foremost, we are called to someone, not to something, such as motherhood, politics, or teaching, or to somewhere, such as the inner city or outer Mongolia, and then he finishes with this, ensure they are kept in the right order. Ensure they are kept in the right order. Now, so while you would say, okay, I agree with that, that's true, but how am I supposed to distinguish between a primary calling and a secondary calling? How can I know that I'm actually following God's voice and not a secondary one? Well, there are a few tells that give it away. So first off, think about this. Um, think about your f- current primary focus in your life. Think about the plans that you make. And then ask yourself, is my focus on this world? Are my plans on this world? Or is it on Jesus? This world would include things like retirement, personal property, networking, um, personal appearance, envying others. Those are the things that are occupying your mind, okay? That's this world. Jesus would include overflowing with love for others, telling others about Jesus, and forsaking this world for him. Now, will anyone do this perfectly? Of course not. Is it a process? Yes. But the point is, where your focus is, where you're predominantly thinking, that is a tell that you could have confused a secondary calling with a primary calling. It's wherever your mind, wherever the, the majority of your plans happen to be. Um, Another way to distinguish between a primary calling and a secondary calling is when you tend to confuse service with righteousness. Here's how this usually looks. Um, Say that you are unproductive, um, you haven't gotten much done, your relationships aren't going that well, you feel like a total failure. But when you serve someone, get a lot of work done, or you do something spiritual, you feel like a success. You feel more worthy. And instead of being more anchored, you're kind of more like this. And what you're doing is you're confusing secondary service with Christ's primary righteousness. You're holding on to what you can do rather than what Jesus has already done for you. Um, 
I've shared this with a few of you, but I went through a period about a year and a half where I went through a severe, severe depression. And there was about six months of that where I averaged about two or three hours of sleep a night. I was overworked. Um, I had some external factors coming into my life. And then on top of that, it forced me to face habits I'd had my entire life that I'd never faced before. All of it happened at once. And I was this close to losing my mind. That close. And there was something else I was doing, if that wasn't enough, that even made it worse. When I would sit down and try to get something done, because of all the lack of sleep, because of all the pressures, I would sit at my computer for hours at a time and I could not type a single sentence. And guess what came in? Guilt. Tons of guilt. You know why? Because in all of my 20s, I was extremely productive and I loved it. I felt great. I was in the information technology world where everything was measured by results, how much you knew, how quickly you could figure out problems. And when that was just ripped from me, I felt totally worthless. I couldn't get anything done. I couldn't produce anything. What was I doing? I was confusing service, secondary service, what I could do with Christ's righteousness. My worth was out of what I was able to produce rather than resting in what Christ had already done for me. Let me say this to you today. If you are struggling in any way, in any manner, with something like that, when I went through that process, a very close friend to me, I was saying to him, I have no idea how to get over this. I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm thinking. And on top of that, I'm dealing with all this guilt because I have nothing to offer anybody. And a very good friend to me said, how about when you're sitting in front of your computer and you're having those times, why don't you start praying God, I know this is how I feel, but my worth is not what I accomplish, but it's what you have already done for me. And I prayed that for days and months and months, and eventually I believed it. And today, I still feel the effects of that depression and that lack of clarity, where I'll try to get something done, it doesn't happen, I start to get all riled up, and I will go back to that prayer and say, God, I believe my worth in you is not what I accomplish, but what you have already accomplished for me. Do not let yourself confuse service with your worth in Christ's righteousness. Um, I decide whether or not I want to talk about this one. I think I do. Let's go for it. Yeah, we got time. Okay. Um, another easy way to tell if someone has uh, confused a secondary calling with a primary calling is when they're more passionate about secondary doctrines rather than the mission of Jesus. 
So this is very easy to do, especially if you've been within a Christian community for a long time. You're familiar with a lot of truths because you're always exposed to them. And you know what? It's fun to learn things that are true, and the Bible is fascinating. But you know what can happen? Your mind can get carried away with the truths of Scripture, and you lose the primary calling of Jesus. Watch out for that. If I'm more passionate about truths or doctrines in the Bible than the primary mission of Jesus, then something is askew. I've likely confused a secondary calling or issue with the primary calling Christ has on my heart. Now, apart from all those things that have to do with callings, um, another habit that can rob us of unity is self-centered desire. Look down at verse 2 with me. It says, with all humility and gentleness. Humility and gentleness. Now, unfortunately, most of us don't start out in our lives with these traits, do we? Tell me, what are two common characteristics of children? They're self-centered, and they are not gentle. No, Josh, don't bite his face. Don't hit him with the toy hammer. Don't say mine. Don't say mine. Share. You have to take turns. You have to take turns. And while we can see the, the humor of that, unfortunately what often, often happens is we unwittingly carry those same habits that we had as children into adulthood, but we hold our, those thoughts in. The coolest thing about children is they're totally openly interacting with their world, saying the first thing often that comes to their head. But when we become adults, we learn how to hold those thoughts in. We still have the same desires, but we become more sophisticated in how we play them out. Okay? Um, last week, uh, Simon came running upstairs. His face was totally drenched in tears. And he said uh, to Jenna, Mom, Luke freaked me out. And she said, Luke freaked you out? Yeah. Well, what did he do? He told me no more Sour Patch Kids. And that freaked you out? Yeah. After he told her, he was okay with it, and he went back downstairs. So, as adults... Not only do we find it funny, but we love the honesty because we can see transparently through the children. And that's reassuring when you know where someone is coming from. But many of us, over time, we learn how to hide those things. So, how can we not allow those habits of holding things in to rob us, whether it's selfishness, uh, jealousy, um, whatever it is, how can we not allow those habits to rob us as adults with unity for others? Um, how do we bring those things to the light? So, one way is we, what we can start doing is spotting and identifying the habits that we have. One of those, the biggest one that you often see in people is fear. We're afraid of others, and this is what keeps us from unity. We're afraid of others seeing our real 
weaknesses. We're afraid of others seeing what we really struggle with. We're afraid of oftentimes just voicing it out. And what does that mean? That means what we're actually afraid of is vulnerability. And think about this. We're also afraid of others' vulnerability. I don't know what to say to that person. When they come to me with that problem, I don't know how to respond. I don't know how to help them. And I don't want them to see that I don't know how to help them. We're also afraid of other people's vulnerability. Um, While one form of self-centeredness is preserving self through avoiding vulnerability, another form that's really common is using vulnerability to get something from someone. So if you find yourself often unloading on on someone you don't know, before mutual trust is built up in that relationship, that's not true vulnerability. You're using vulnerability to get things, to get sympathy, to get a connection before that trust is built up. And that's something that uh, I've done in my life. Many people do. Uh, Brene Brown is a researcher, uh, and she studied this single topic for 10 years, it's called a vulnerability, something we don't like talking about. And what she describes as when someone just unloads private details on someone else's life before the relationship gets close, she refers to it as the smash and grab. I'm getting something from that person instead of building up a close, vulnerable relationship with them. And the problem is that doesn't Build unity because the focus is on yourself, and that individual will feel like they're being used rather than it being mutual trust. She says using vulnerability is not the same thing as being vulnerable. In fact, it's the opposite. It's armor. So we'll go through this fairly quickly. How do we lose, then, self-centeredness? The answer is exactly the same as it was from primary and secondary callings. You lose yourself entirely. You lose yourself entirely. And how do you do that? Primary, secondary callings, what was it? Trusting in Christ's righteousness. And yourself is out of the equation. So, here are some questions to ask yourself if you're in the I'm an avoid vulnerability camp, okay? Out of the last 10 serious conversations you've had with a friend, what percentage were you being vulnerable with that individual and sharing your own faults and struggles? Out of the last 5, 10 serious conversations you've had, what percentage were you openly sharing your struggles and faults. Now, if you're someone who uses vulnerability to get things from others, out of the last 10 serious conversations you've had with a friend, what percentage were you honestly inquiring about the other person? How often were you asking questions about them, hoping to serve them and help them? And let me just say this right here. This is why we need community. 
This is why we need community groups. Now, some of them are filling up, but we also need people to start them. We have a few we've started. We need more that are going to go. Because true community, you know what it does? It brings us out of a privatized Christian life. We're not called to ourselves. We're called to each other. Now, the last habit that can uh, rob us of Christian unity is simply ignoring the call of God on our life. Look down at verse 4. It says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Something that is fascinating about the mission of Jesus, when he's your primary calling, self-centeredness is replaced. It's not always fought against, it's replaced by Jesus. When he's your primary calling, unity is unavoidable. Because following Jesus and unity are actually one in the same thing. Jesus says in John 17 that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. If you still have your Bibles open to Ephesians 4, skip ahead a few verses into verse 15. He says, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. What was the first verse? Walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Finding unity with others only comes by first finding God's primary calling on your life. By following His voice instead of all the secondary noises. So, again, obviously it's the week of VBS, and you know what the theme, the theme is? It's the incredible race. We are one nation. We are one people. And how is that made possible? Through Jesus. How easy it is to get distracted by other pursuits and passions in your life. But I'll ask you today, is Jesus your primary pursuit? Is he your primary passion? You want to know a way to tell if he is? If you have close, strong bonds with other people in your life, where you confess your struggles, where you have an interest in them, and it's reciprocal, because following Jesus is one and the same as having unity with others. And that should be our hope for Rock Creek, for everything we do. It is Christ, it is not me. It is others, it is not me. Let's make that our passion and realize it is all of our callings. Let's make that our passion and calling today. Would you please pray with me? God, thank you that your word has so much to teach us. It brings us out of our stupors. It brings us out of our deadness. 
it brings us to life, which is closer to you. Thank you that you did not come to be served, but to serve. And may we do that for one another. It's in your name we pray and believe. Amen.